Welcome to BMP Radio. My name is Brian Pickowitz, and I am your host. The goal of this podcast is to connect you with individuals from the fields of fitness and lifestyle as they share their stories to ignite the fire within you. I want to thank you for tuning in as we inspire you to be a light and believe in more. What is going on, guys? This is Brian Pickwitz here at BMP Radio, and I'm super excited to have you guys here for episode 18. So on today's episode, we have Sumner Healy, and Sumner is a fitness and lifestyle coach who specializes in helping professional men transform their lives and become fit. And so on this episode, we dive in all things fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle related, including how to avoid bro science, how to transform your physique and build a physique that you're proud of, but also how to clarify your why and how to deal with personal trauma and setbacks. So I'm not going to steal any of the thunder from Sumner, but on this podcast, he really opens up about stories he never shared that really shaped how he has gone about discovering his path to betterment through fitness. And I think that the biggest thing that he talks about, the biggest thing that I can really say is a testament to many of the people that I've brought on the show is that fitness becomes the foundation that you build from. And it gives you the strength to keep moving forward even when things don't seem perfect. And so Sumner is a perfect example of that. When you look at some of the things that we talk about here, overcoming, you know, growing up, without a lot of money, overcoming you know personal setbacks that presented themselves as someone else's faults, someone else's flaws, and really understanding how to be self-motivated or, or better yet, self-inspired by the things that you want to produce and those around you. I think that this is a perfect example of how the light that you cast can not only shine for yourself, but can also shine for others too. And so this is an excellent podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. I hope that it gives you something extremely valuable. You can find Sumner at the Sumner Healy on Instagram. You can also find his Instagram at Sumner Healy Fitness. But thank you guys for tuning in. Please, if you can, leave us a review on this show. Review this podcast and give us some feedback as to what you would like to see, who you would like to be featured, and what aspects of fitness and lifestyle will provide you with the greatest amount of value. But thank you for tuning in, and without further ado, here's Sumner Healy. How's it going, Brian? Excited to be here, man. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. It's going, it's going incredible. It's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles, California. Um, but I am inside. So, <laughs> um, you know, so obviously you and I got connected through a mutual friend, but I really wanted to take this opportunity to kind of kick it to you and, and hear more of how you got started in fitness. I know on some of your content and in, in, in your YouTube videos, you talk about being the skinny guy. So was that always the motivation to become more of a confident source or was it something else that drove your beginning into fitness? Yeah, man, that's a really good question. And you know, what's funny is I used to think uh, my story was unique in some sense. And, and, and while there are unique parts to it, I think a lot of guys uh, will resonate where I came from. You know, I was always that ectomorph growing up, incredibly skinny. My junior year of high school was about 115 pounds. Um, and, you know, for me, I think there, there was a couple things that were going on. So first off, 
uh, my first motivations to get in the gym were incredibly shallow. I just wanted to change my body and that was really it. Um, and so I remember I signed up for a gym membership. We'd take my mom's little minivan over to the gym. I didn't have a car at the time when I was a junior in high school. And uh, I, I remember I, I stayed consistent for the very first month. I went probably about 26 days in that month. I was just going pretty hard at it. Um, and I saw very little change. I saw almost no change in my body. And I was like, God, this is incredibly discouraging. Like I'm still probably, you know, 117 to 118 pounds. I haven't really gained that much muscle. I still look roughly the same. I'm still getting teased. I'm still getting picked on. My friends, you know, still joke around that I'm the skinniest kid in the group or that the wind's going to blow me away. And so it was at that moment that I was like, you know what, I'm going to make a pact to myself because this was kind of like, I think a lot of people in high school will resonate with this. Like being a junior in high school, you know that your time as a kid is coming to an end very quickly. And I was like, you know what, it's time for me to buck up and really find something that I can stick with. Because up until that point, I didn't really play sports in high school. I'd never been a phenomenal student. I was pretty average in all senses. Um, and I was like, you know, what? I'm going to make this my thing. I'm just going to stick with it, even though I've seen very little signs of progress to begin with. And being so skinny, I didn't really have um, very much feedback going on that I was actually going to be decent at this. But I was like, no, I'm going to make a pact to myself. I'm going to stick with this. Um, and then within my very first year, I think I was up to like 165 pounds. So I made massive, massive jump. And, you know, very little of that was actually muscle. I went full on turbo bulk and kind of followed <laughs> a lot of the misleading advice that you find on bodybuilding.com forums and whatnot of just like shoveling down four to 5,000 calories every single day. Um, and I, you know, I kind of took the path that I wouldn't recommend to anyone now. I don't think that's the right way to go about it, but that was how I got my start. And so, you know, it all started with very shallow motivation. And then the second phase was, all right, you know, I'm going to hone in on some discipline and I'm actually going to stick with this. And by like the third or fourth month, I kid you not, there was no discipline required. Like I had fallen so deeply in love with training. Um, it became my source for everything. And, you know, a lot of people probably will resonate with this. You know, once you get into uh, working out, there's all these latent benefits that start snowballing into every other area of your life. And all of a sudden I started getting really into personal development, right? Because I was, I was figuring out that, Hey, if I can impact change on my body, what can I do to other areas of my life? And then my social skills started to get better. My speaking skills started to get better. I became a better student. Like everything in my life started to level up and I became obsessed. I love it. Obsession is never a bad thing as long as it's in the right direction. Um, <laughs> Within that, so you're looking at it as a whole, and I, I like that you talk about the bad advice by forums and things of the like. If, if you, so how old were you when you decided to really change course and shift to a more disciplined place? And, and what did that actually look like? What did that require you to do? Yeah, so that was within like the first month of training. So I was about, it was 17, almost 18 at the time. Um, and again, I was going off of a lot of the bro science advice, right? I had no structure to my training. There was no deloading. I didn't know what progressive overload was, right? Like I was just going to the gym. I figured if I worked hard, right, I was going to build muscle. And if I ate a lot, I was also going to build muscle. And so what ended up happening, um, pretty quickly, I'd say within about the first year, things just plateaued really, really fast. Like 
I just hit a wall, right? I wasn't getting any stronger. I wasn't providing a stimulus that was actually going to kick me out of homeostasis. Like I was just going to the gym and working hard and that was it. Um, and so it was within the first year that I started to actually dive deep and figured out like the mechanics of training as a natural athlete and what that looked like. So it took me about, I would say a year to a year and a half to really figure out what, what to do in the gym to actually build muscle. Um, and so that's when I started seeing like phenomenal results was probably about that two year mark. But yeah, the first, first year was all bro science forum based. A lot of YouTube videos. I remember watching all the athlete X videos and I would just write down his workout and go to the gym and be like, you know, if I do this every day, I'll look like him eventually. Um, and you know, that obviously was not the case by any means. So I, I definitely did not take the quickest route to building my physique. There was a ton of trial and error, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I think that the lessons that you learned during that time really produced the, the things that you want now that you look at it, because now you can relate to other people. And so kind of piggybacking off that, what do you feel like was – the biggest shift that happened during that time like you know you're going to the gym you start off this like bulk phase and then that kind of goes for about two years once you hit about that two-year mark what was some actual like disciplined focuses that you were able to develop in your training in that time yeah so i think training related the biggest thing that shifted and i kind of touched on it previously um was really figuring out that you know, strength and volume are everything. So it's, it's one thing just to get strong, right? But if you're not actually applying enough volume to the body, as far as building muscle, you're not really going to see phenomenal results, right? So it was one, <clears throat> it was getting stronger and then applying that strength to having enough volume and enough frequency within your training to actually produce results. Um, you know, I, I was almost two years in and I was still benching like, I don't know, probably 155 or 160, right? Like I, I hadn't really made much progress as far as strength goes. And so really diving in and figuring out like as a natural lifter, working hard just isn't enough. Like you can go to the gym and bust your butt. But again, if you're not providing a stimulus, that's enough to make the body want to change. Uh, and one of the best ways to do that, there's a lot of ways, but one of the best ways to do that is by incrementally getting stronger over time and then having good volume to accompany that. So that was like the biggest thing is that really I started to build a program for myself to follow um, and my, my results just freaking skyrocketed. So it was creating a disciplined approach to my training because previously for those first, you know, like I said, a year to two years, I was going into the gym and it was just like, well, today I'm going to do tricep pushdowns and then I'm going to do a little bit of bench. I'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But it, once I got disciplined and really clear with my training and um, kind of structuring it, the results went insane. And I'll say, you know, to kind of, I guess, piggyback, like you said, on top of that, um, when I also applied that same frame of discipline to my eating, the things just got wild, right? Like when I coupled the eating and the training with a disciplined approach, everything shifted. I mean, for those first two years, I didn't even know what a macro was. Like I was just, I figured if I ate a lot and I had a decent amount of protein, I was going to make gains. Um, so yeah, I think really creating a clear discipline approach. So what I first started doing, just to give people practical advice out there, um, I was following about a 12 to a 16 week training approach. And then I would deload for about two weeks, give my body a little bit of rest, try to find some kind of super compensation and come back a little bit stronger. Um, and I was 
what I was doing is I was really just focusing on the, on the key lifts, right? I'm, I'm talking like OHP, bench, squat, deadlift, just the, the fundamentals, um, and really looking to progress on those year after year. And, you know, progression comes slowly. Like we're talking, if I can add, you know, five pounds to a, a lift within a three to four month period, that's fantastic. Like that was, that was tangible change. Um, so that's when things, that's when everything shifted because before I was, I was the kid that went from 115 pounds to 165 pounds, but I was still embarrassed to take my shirt off. Like I didn't feel comfortable in my body. Um, and you know, people were still noticing the changes that I had made and I was still getting some level of recognition, which was exciting. Like I knew I was onto something, but I, I wasn't really stoked with where I was at, where I was at. Um, and so once I applied a little discipline to it, everything changed. One of the things I think that's really interesting there is you talk about really seeing yourself change and, and pulling that part of you that was underneath the surface to the surface. Why do you feel like so many people lack confidence and what is something that they can do to gain more confidence? Yeah. I mean, confidence is something that I feel like I've, I've done a good bit of studying because as well as being an ectomorph uh, growing up, I was also super introverted, like very, very introverted. Uh, and I don't know if they were necessary, necessarily correlated or not. Um, I don't know. But all I know is I've, I've definitely created change in both those areas in my life. And while I'm, I think I'm still classified as an introvert in some respects, um, I know how to authentically show up and, and be myself and be grounded in social, social situations, which I didn't know how to do previously. Um, so I, I know for me, I think one of the biggest things that really kind of bumped up my self-confidence or really created some level of self-belief in, in, in me was figuring out that I could actually create change in my life. Um, and the first place that I saw a change was on a physical level. And I don't think my confidence is attached to how I look physically or anything along those lines. And I think rarely should your confidence be attached to any outside factor because that can be taken away like that, right? Uh, you want real deep rooted confidence in yourself. Uh, but in order to get that, I had to figure out, Hey, you know what? I'm actually way more powerful than I ever thought because I took myself from the scrawniest kid in my high school um, to having some level of physicality and actually, you know, building up a, a foundation and building up a physique and, and, you know, eventually I stepped on stage and did a fitness competition. And I was like, you know, I've actually, I've created something here. And so if I can do this on the physical plane, I can do this in every other area of my life. And I think a lot of people lack self-belief. They lack confidence within themselves uh, simply because they've never been able to produce a result. And when you can produce a result, it gives you that positive feedback that, hey, you know what? You are powerful. You absolutely are powerful because it's really easy to tell someone this and be like, hey, Brian, you know what? You're amazing, man. You're amazing. My mom would tell me this all the time. Sumner, you're so amazing. But I had never done anything to feel amazing. I hadn't actually created anything. So it wasn't until I got some kind of positive feedback and saw some result that everything changed for me. And that's why I really recommend anyone that wants to get started in self-development or wants to improve themselves, I think one of the best place, places to do that um, is on the physical plane. You know, start with your body. It's a really easy place to produce some kind of result, some kind of change. Um, and it's just gonna, it's gonna give you that, that self-belief that you need. Yeah, I think it shows you how powerful you are. 
like I know, I think it, you and I have very interesting are very interesting because we do somewhat intersect. Um, I was like 165 pounds in college or in high school. I'm a pretty taller guy. Um, pretty taller. <laughs> I was about six <laughs> feet. I'm at six feet. So I don't know how tall you are, but I was pretty lanky. And Wait, was, just to cut you off real quick, we're actually the same height, believe it or not. Okay. So the, you're much skinnier. <laughs> oh, wow. That's even more impressive then. So, um, uh, yeah, very impressive. And so what I found is that my avenue for fitness wasn't necessarily about confidence. It was about a release. So it was about having that area where I could release everything. But I think that what you learn is if you can start to muster change by your own work, by your own hands and by your own effort, that it does kind of flow into those other parts of life. I think it's something really interesting too. You talk about you see like, you know, so many people are telling you like, Oh, you're, you're perfect. You're, you're great. You have all these different things going for you, but you couldn't see it for yourself. If someone's in that position, you know, obviously changing their physical body is a first step, but how do they start to cultivate a positive belief system that actually empowers them? Yeah. You know, for, I'm very, very results orientated. Um, and so in my opinion, I would say just go out there and win a little bit more, whether that's winning the day or just win some part of your life. Take ownership of something in your life and start, like I said previously, start to produce a result. And that might, that frame might not work for everyone, but like I said, I'm so results orientated uh, that that's, that's been really empowering for me. Um, and so, you know, whatever it is, whether it's just making your bed in the morning, something so simple like that, if you can take ownership and just have that small little win in your life, uh, it starts to snowball much like fitness, right? I mean, it really snowballs into every other area of your life. So if you can kind of pick up that mentality and apply it to the small things in your life or the big things in your life and just start taking ownership, just start rising to the occasion, um, and just win a little bit more. You know, I think so many people, they feel disempowered. They feel like a victim to the circumstances in their life. They don't feel like they, they ever win at life. They don't feel like they ever, you know, they don't feel like that they can actually uh, create something, whether it's within themselves or outside of themselves, you know, whether it's on a physical level or building a business or, you know, creating an amazing relationship, like whatever it is, they just feel disempowered. And so for me, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've been incredibly disempowered coming from that whole entire victim frame of mind to being on the flip side of things where I feel like I've never had more belief in myself. You know, I've never been so empowered as I am currently. Um, and for me, it was just starting to take ownership of the small things in my life. And then eventually that led to bigger and bigger and bigger things. And it kind of allowed me to grow into the person that I am now. Amazing. And I don't want to, I want to dive into a lot of the self betterment and, and really personal development parts, but I want to hang on fitness for a second too. As a fitness coach and a lifestyle consultant, what do you feel like are the biggest barriers at first for people to succeed and see their transformation? Yeah. Okay. So I think typically, um, you know, it's different for, for every person. And I think you could kind of like create, five to six different categories that everyone would fall under. But to make like a really general approach, uh, typically I think it comes down to one thing and that is most people aren't clear on their why. They don't have a really strong why that's driving them. And so 
their, their, I hate the word motivation, but their motivation is fickle. It comes and it goes. Um, so what I did when I first got started to give like really actionable advice to people out there is I got a pen and a paper, kicking it back old school. And I just wrote down my why. What is my why for getting in shape? Why do I want to go to the gym? What's my intrinsic motivation? And I just freaking hung that bad boy everywhere I went. It was in my backpack. Then I would take it in the car. I'd take it to me in the gym. And I just was constantly reminding myself, what is my why? You know, what is actually pushing me to do this? And uh, anytime I kind of felt like I was falling off a little bit, I would remind myself of that. And so what I see most people when they come to me or, you know, other people that work with different coaches that I've talked to, you know, a lot of the similar issues that we see always boil down to uh, just having very, very fickle motivation or consistency. A lot of people know what to do, uh, but they'll go to the gym for about a month or two and then they'll either plateau and just stay at that same place or they'll regress. You know, they'll make some great progress. They might lose 10, 20 pounds. And then three months from now, they're right back to where they started from. Um, and so it's really figuring out what is your why. And I think a, a really interesting um, kind of study, for example, is that I forget the exact percent, but there is some percent out there and it's above 50% of uh, lottery winners typically, you know, within a year or two, go back to their original financial state, right? So they'll win all of this money and then they'll go and regress right back to where they started from. And it's because these people kind of haphazardly fell into having all this money, right? They never had a clearly defined why. Um, and so they just regress instantly. And so a lot of people that go to the gym, they'll make some progress. They don't really know why they're doing it. And then they gain all that weight back and maybe a little bit more. Um, and so that's what I see most commonly is people are reaching out. They haven't clearly defined why they want this. And within that, Obviously, defining it by paper and pen and really spending time by yourself makes a massive difference. But how did you discover your why besides that? What, or what was the driving and contributing factor or the moment that said, you know, I need to define this more? Did that come through fitness or did that come through your experience with trying to become a better whole individual? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like the chicken in the egg issue. I don't necessarily like looking back, I don't remember exactly how to pinpoint it, but I think what it boiled down to is I was at such a pivotal time in my life. Like I kind of, like I spoke on previously, like I saw that I wasn't going to be a kid forever. I was eventually going to go off to college and kind of have to uh, make my way through life. And I wanted to kind of, I wanted to find what my thing was. And so I was really, really intrinsically motivated to uh, find a discipline and stick with it. And uh, I think that was probably my biggest driving factor besides just being skinny. I was like, you know what? It's, it's about time that I pick up something in life. It's about time that I find something that I'm passionate about and I find something that, that I can kind of channel my energy into. Um, and so that was my biggest why. And I remember that was what kept me going after that first month. That first month in the gym saw just horrible results. I mean, by most standards, like really, really poor results. And uh, I was on the fence. I was like, you know, do I, do I just back out of this? Like this isn't really for me. And I'm looking at these guys on YouTube and uh, Instagram wasn't that big at the time, but I remember I did have an account and I followed a couple fitness people on there and I was looking at all these amazing physiques and like how strong these guys were. And I was like, God, they must just have something that I don't. And I was so close to quitting. Um, but the why at the time was 
was to actually find an outlet. It was to find a place to channel my energy towards. And that's, that's what kept me chugging along. And that was way more powerful than just wanting to change myself physically, right? Like wanting to change from being skinny to quote unquote buff wasn't really enough to keep me hanging around. And that's why I recommend most people really dig deep and find like, what is the root cause? Like what is the real why that's driving you? And for me, that was to find an outlet, uh, to find a hobby that I could really sink myself into fully and just find a place that I could, I could gather fulfillment from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so piggybacking off of that, what were some of the things that you started to dive into to help you discover your why? Like what, what were the pieces of self-improvement that were heavily influencing you? Oh man, that is a good question. Um, you know, at the time I, I wasn't really digging super deep into any outside resources. I wasn't an avid reader at the time. I wasn't diving that deep into any self-development material. I think for me, what I was doing is I was looking around and uh, I was really trying to figure out, okay, what is, what is happiness? Like what is happiness to me and how can I, how can I, kind of engineer happiness in my life, I guess. And so I was looking at like peers or people that I looked up to and I saw a common trend. So there's, there's two things that I was looking at. The people that I found that were the happiest in life, one had an outlet. They had something that they could give all of themselves to. They had a place where they could really channel their energy to. Uh, and typically people that were happy had a lot of presence in their life, right? They weren't the kind of the people that were like, you know, bogged down at the office all day long and then came home and then were on the phone and like were never present throughout the day and they were just, you know, spread too thin and stressed the hell out. The people that I found that were truly happy in their life had both fulfillment from some kind of outlet and they were present. Um, and so for me, I was like, okay, well, what, what can I find in my life that's going to allow me to do both of those things? And it just so happened that weightlifting was both. Weightlifting one was, was a place that I could find deep fulfillment in, not only in the act of doing it, but also in the act of sharing it. Um, and then the other thing too, is that for me, like weightlifting as woo woo wah wah as it might sound is the ultimate form of presence. Weightlifting is my type of meditation. And I've tried so many different meditation practices out there um, and nothing has stuck like weightlifting. For me, weightlifting is the time where my mind silences I become in tune with my body. I really step into myself. I feel grounded, feel incredibly present to the moment. I, you know, I'm just feeling my muscles contract and the blood flowing through my body. I'm so grounded in that moment. And so it checked both of those boxes for me. So at the time, it was kind of like reverse engineering the people that I looked up to. Um, and so I kind of took a very wonky and untraditional approach um, but that, that's really how I went about it. And so it was, it was finding somewhere that fulfilled both of those needs. With presence and fulfillment. Those are, that's what I was looking for. And weightlifting really checked those boxes. And so based off of that, what do you feel like, or who do you feel like is probably a better way of looking at it? Who do you feel like around you or who do you feel like was in your sphere of influence that you wanted to emulate? Was there, even if it wasn't someone who other people would know, was there like a big inspiration for you as far as a person or is there something that like that was driving you in that capacity? Yeah, man, that's a really good question. So 
there was actually uh, as cheesy as it sounds it was my grandma and my grandpa so my grandparents um they own a nursery up in eugene oregon called northwest gardens and nursery and uh, what i found so profound about them i would spend every sum summer up at their house and um they work seven days a week gardening outside it's pretty laborious they're both in their late 70s now they don't take days off um and they work probably on average anywhere from like 10 to 12 hour days in the garden and they freaking love every minute of it they are so fulfilled by what they do like that is their outlet where at the end of the day they leave happier than when they started because they've been channeling all this amazing energy into the, this place of, of gardening, which for them is, that is their life. That's what they love. That's what feels fulfilling. Um, and so it's, it's not something that takes away from their life. It's something that adds to their life. And so they wake up every single morning, so excited to go step foot in that garden and from the outside, it looks like they're busting their butt. I mean, they're bent over all day, sweating, and they're just in, you know, in the sun. Um, and it's, it's, it's a ton of work, but for them, and it, like I said, it's so fulfilling. And on top of it, they're so incredibly present. I mean, you talk to them, they look you right in the eyes, they listen to you, like you just feel their energy. They're right there. They're really in the moment. And they were never anywhere else but there in that moment. And I remember at the time it was so different than the, up, the upbringing that I had. Like my dad uh, started a construction business in his early 20s and was always spread really, really thin, giving that all of his attention. And while I think he found some level of fulfillment in his work, he was never present. He was always just go, 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 and was so stressed out, spread so thin. Um, and then for the summers, I'd go spend time with my grandparents, and it was like this place of serenity. And the irony was they were working just as hard as my dad was, if not harder, working seven days a week, but they were fulfilled. They were happy. They were present. And so I was kind of comparing these two situations. I was like, there's my dad's approach, which is like this grinded out mentality. And it was like very, very, um, I don't know, just kind of type A and kind of aggressive and it was, it was a lot of like alpha male energy tied up in that. And I looked at my grandparents and they were taking a much different approach, but getting a very similar result. They were both successful in their own right. Um, but they were taking a path that I knew whatever career I chose in life, which so happened to be fitness for me. I wanted to take that same frame and emulate it. That's, that's powerful. That's very powerful. And I would also just to jump in off of what you've said too, very similar to what you and others, myself included, experienced in the gym, they were experiencing in their garden. Yeah. So what you produce in your physical body is what they were producing in their garden, which I think is, is a very powerful comparison because it's kind of, it's pretty much the same thing, you know? You know, absolutely, man. Like every day we go to the gym, we're planting seeds, we're cultivating growth, we're nourishing our bodies. And they're doing much the same to their garden. It's just in a little bit of a different spectrum, but it's the same exact concept. I love that. And so when you were younger, so obviously, and I think that, you know, obviously we're around the same age. You're 23, right? Yeah, I just turned 23. Okay, so I got a leg up on you a little bit. <laughs> uh, but so what career path did you originally expect to take? And how is that? shaped itself over the last few years 
Yeah, so dude, I have a very interesting uh, track record, I guess you could say. Um, and this is something I've actually, I don't think I've ever shared this on social media. So this is going to be good to dive into it. Um, when I was 17 years old, I got really into uh, the stock market. I actually, like, I became kind of obsessed. And it was really timely because I was right when I started working out and, uh, I, I started to kind of apply that same frame that I could produce change in any area of life that I wanted to. And one of those areas that I wanted to produce change was within my financial situation. I grew up with a single mom for most of my life. Um, we were incredibly poor. I lived in a shed for most of my high school. Um, my mom had like this little, it's probably about a, oh man, 15 foot by 15 foot studio. And then there was a tool shed in the back that we converted into a bedroom for me. And wow. yeah, super humble upbringings. And it was my mom, myself, and my little sister. And so at the time, like money was definitely a motivating factor, right? And so I, I knew that I could produce changes within my body. And I was like, you know what? Where does most of the wealth in this country come from? And it, it really all kind of channeled back to the uh, stock market or really beyond that, just investing. I realized that most people that have some level of wealth have taken money that they've earned and they've invested it, whether it's in real estate or doing like private equity or whether it's doing like public stuff with, you know, the stock market and whatnot. Um, that was where most people generated a ton of their wealth. And so that was the frame that I was coming from. I was 17 years old and I just dove deep on the stock market. I went out, got a job, started saving up my pennies, opened up a trading account right when I turned 18, lost it instantly and did that three times over again. Uh, would get a job, start up a trading account, lose it, lose it, lose it. So I did that three times over again. Around my third attempt, I started to pick up a little bit of steam. I started to kind of cultivate a little bit of a trading strategy, found some discipline within my approach to trading. Um, and I actually had a, 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 like a legitimate track record. And so it was at that same time, I'll never forget this. It was such a crazy, crazy story. Um, <clears throat> my mom had a friend that came over. And uh, he came over for dinner. I had never met him before. And, uh, we, you know, we were chit-chatting. He was kind of asking me, you know, hey, you're about to graduate. You know, what are you looking to do when you get out of school? And I, I told him I was just, like, was incredibly passionate about the stock market. And I poured out all my passion to him. And I think we talked for almost two hours at the dinner table. And at the end of that night, he wrote me a check for $25,000 and said, I want you to go and invest this. Do, wow. Do as this as you want, and uh, we'll split it. You know, whatever money you make, we'll split that. Uh, I think it was, it started off 30, 70. And then it, we worked out a uh, setup where it was 40, 60. And so I did that for the first two years of college, you know, made a really good income and enjoyed it. Um, but at a certain point I started to get a little bit burnt out. And the thing about trading is it's incredibly taxing mentally. Um, and I just didn't feel that fulfilled. Like my original intentions were so shallow. I was like, I just want to make a boatload of money. And that just didn't feel fun anymore after a while. And, you know, I wasn't making like crazy, crazy money, but for, you know, yeah. being 20, making, you know, four to $5,000 a month felt like a lot at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at the same time, I also started up a uh, textbook company in college. And so I started digging through the dumpsters at my, uh, at my college at the local library and I was loading up all these textbooks. Long story short, I turned that into a, a six figure business um, and then I started private labeling these weird, um, 
flashlights and selling them on Amazon. And so anyways, I've had a lot of random, random ventures. And I think I've always been a bit of a chronic entrepreneur. Um, but what I found through that whole entire process is that money means so little to me. Like as long as my uh, expenses are covered, fulfillment is truly what I'm looking for. And so I think I, for a while, I kind of got derailed off that path that I originally mentioned. I kind of took a much different approach um, and I kind of lost sight of being fulfilled. Right. And I, I took that in exchange for making more money. And I thought that's what I wanted. Um, quickly found out that that was not what I wanted by any means. And so it was actually a year ago, I moved down to San Diego. I was still running uh, my private label Amazon business. And I was also running my textbook company on top of that. And um, I was doing really well. Actually last fall I had a month where we generated almost $50,000 in revenue in one month. Um, from the flashlights or from the textbooks? Uh, so both. So the textbooks made up about 40,000 of that and the flashlights did about 10,000 that month. Is the, just just so I can kind of have a reference to for uh, anyone listening, um, is that something that's still running? Is that something that you're still involved in? And, and what does that actually look like? Yeah, so I've sold off the flashlight company. I'm not involved in that anymore. I do still have the textbook fulfillment company. It takes up about 10 hours a week of my time. Uh, as I'm transitioning into to really diving deeper into fitness coaching and, and really making this my full-time thing, that 10 hours is slowly being cut back more and more, mm -hmm. but I still do have that as uh, an income stream. And it's something that I, I do enjoy. I do find it really fun and exciting, but it's taught me so much from a business perspective. Oh my God. Like that has been like a 10 X growth factor for, for really just being a better entrepreneur. Um, but it is definitely dwindling slowly, but surely. And so I moved down to San Diego a year ago, Pretty much instantly sold off all of my shares in the flashlight company or sold off my portion in the flashlight company. Um, still have the textbook company and simultaneously while moving down to San Diego, I kind of had like this fresh start mentality because I moved from San Luis Obispo to San Diego. I felt like a whole new chapter and I was like, <clears throat> I'm going to do a little bit of soul searching. I'm going to really figure out what it is that I want. And I kind of got back to that same mindset that I had when I was 17 years old. I'm looking for fulfillment and I'm looking for a lifestyle that's going to allow me to be present every single day. Um, and I was like, you know, it's always been fitness. Fitness has always been what I loved. What if I started sharing this? Like what if I actually started bringing this to the world and sharing my story and helping others with it? And so I think it was September of 2017 that I started up my Instagram, uh, started posting on there, started kind of, sharing my story and, and connecting with like-minded people. Uh, so I've, I've only been at it for a very short amount of time. Um, but the connections that I've made, the relationships that I've made with my clients and with other people that are on Instagram, both in person and just through like, you know, connecting on social media, like we have has been amazing. It's been like really, really, really amazing. And I can't believe uh, where I'm at in just a, such a short period of time. It's been about eight months and it's just been an incredible journey so far. Absolutely. Well, that's a pretty profound story. Uh, I think you should definitely tell it more. Um, uh, yeah, I think that that's very um, empowering for anyone to hear, especially, especially being a self-taught investor for lack of a better term. You know, I don't think that you hear too many, options for young kids jumping into the, the stock market like that. 
one thing I wanted to ask you too, to piggyback off of that, because apparently we're going to do a lot of piggybacking, uh, <laughs> is is where did you get your chops as an entrepreneur? Like, where did you start to figure out these different pieces for yourself, and how did that kind of manifest itself? Yeah, I think that really goes back to my parents. Both my parents uh, were always entrepreneurs growing up. Like, my mom <clears throat> started her own uh, massage therapy company. Like I mentioned previously, my dad started his own construction company and uh, I was always just around it. That was just kind of commonplace. Um, and so I remember being, I think I was seven or eight years old. And what I used to do is I would buy wholesale candy and uh, I would go and take it to school and I would flip it. Um, and, I, and then I would, you know, I would always have these little ventures. Actually, funny story. I almost got expelled for selling the candy. Uh, <laughs> it got out of hand really quickly because like, there's a few kids that stole money from their parents to pay for the candy and the parents called the school and it, it just got bad really quickly. Um, but I think it's always been in me. And I don't know, something I've given a lot of thought. I don't know if being an entrepreneur is nature or if it's nurture or if it's both, I can't quite figure it out. Um, so I don't know if I was necessarily born this way or if it was just from my environment that I grew up in, but it seems like ever since the dawn of time, like this is, I've always been, driven just to, to I like the idea I think really what it comes down to is um, I love the idea of creating something from nothing and that's the thing that's why I've started so many different ventures is I love like hey can I can I like create a business out of a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or can I actually grow and scale something from from literally nothing much like I've done with my body um, and so I love that process. I love that journey. For me, it's never about getting to the destination. I just love watching something grow and cultivating that. Um, and that's always been the frame that I've come from ever since like a young kid. Like it's always, always so exciting to witness growth and to be a part of that. Um, so I think for me, that's, that's probably been, uh, it's always been in my life. And I've had so many businesses growing up, my goodness, like a lot that flopped and I've had a handful that actually uh, were successful. I think I've only had two or three jobs in my whole life when I was, I think I was all in high school. Um, so I never was really employed. I had one job at a sushi restaurant, got fired within a month. And then <laughs> from there, I was a sophomore in high school. From there, I started a photography company taking pictures for real estate agents. And then I would sell those pictures to the contractor, to the architect and to the real estate agent. So I kind of, I would take one photo and sell it three times essentially. Um, and, and so I've always had, I don't know, I think I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I love it. And within that, these things obviously are going in one direction and they're leading you to this point where you've discovered your passion for fitness and training in the last, at least eight months to a year. How has, I'll say maybe career, because you can start to quantify it as a career, but how has your career in fitness shaped itself? So did you start as a personal trainer? Did you start as an online coach? Did you compete in a contest? Like what was your actual like introduction into the space like? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, <laughs> my introduction was, was actually none of the above. My, my first introduction was uh can i see if i can get something to stick that was i remember that was the first thing i was like you know what can i start posting stuff and get any level of traction and i you know i hate to take the whole gary v thinks that i it's been i think it's just been it's a dead horse at this point it's been talked about so many times but i took the gary v approach 
Um, I was just like value up front, value, 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 value. And then eventually maybe I'll offer a service, right? My first task was, can I put content out there? Can I share my story? Can I share myself authentically? And will that resonate with anyone? Um, and so that's what I first started doing. So I got on Instagram, I think for like the first three to four months, I started putting out content daily and I just was pretty damn consistent with it. Saw some, some level of growth. Uh, within the first couple of months, I think it was around December or so, the thing started to take off a little bit. Um, and it was at that same time that I was starting to get some messages from people. I was starting to get some outreach like, you know, hey, do you do, you do any personal training? Do you do any online training? Um, and so I started doing both. I went and got certified as a personal trainer, uh, did some in-person stuff in San Diego, kind of built up a little business around that. And then also started doing the online coaching simultaneously. Um, so I never started. I didn't start with a business in mind necessarily. I think the very first thing was like, can I get proof of concept? Do I actually have the chops to provide value to people? Um, and is my story going to resonate with anyone? So that was the first frame that I came from. Um, and I don't think I got my very first client into until around November or December, somewhere around there. Um, so it took a little while. And so since then, what has your focal point been and what has your growth looked like? Meaning to quantify that, what are you actually producing for people and what are you trying to offer them? Yeah. So my, my first approach was a uh, very one size fits all, right? It was like, come one, come all, and I'll create you a workout plan. I'll create you a diet plan. And then I'll just send you off to the races and that's it. And so I, I kind of started off with this very, um, one-to-one -one interaction well not one-to-one -one. I guess it was I would just have one interaction with someone I would build them whatever it was that they needed and then we would never talk again right so essentially I was just offering a one-time service and I was serving anyone and everyone uh, but what I quickly realized is that one that didn't really feel like I was actually helping people like I would check back in with a lot of these guys you know anywhere from like five to six weeks later and a lot of them had fallen off. They didn't actually produce any change in their life. And I was like, that doesn't really feel that cool to sell someone a workout or a diet plan and then just know that, you know, statistically they're probably going to fall off within the next couple of weeks. Like that just, that doesn't really resonate with me. Um, and so I kind of went back to the drawing board and was like, okay, let me offer a more one-to-one -one coaching kind of thing where I could actually work with these people for, um, like a designated period. And so I started offering that. Um, and then from there, I really started to see some, some trends, some commonalities. I was like, there is a certain person that I'm working with, um, that is getting the most benefit from what I'm offering and I'm enjoying it the most working with them. And so that, what that looked like was, uh, typically it's guys that are in their thirties to like late forties. So a little bit older, um, and a lot of them are one of two things. They're either entrepreneurs um, or they're just kind of like, you know, someone that might be like a high level business person or that they've achieved something in their life to some degree. Um, and the reason that I found, uh, I found it the most fulfilling working with these people is because since they, they've achieved something in their life to some degree, that's usually that's like within the career field, uh, they know what it means to actually work hard. And so a lot of these guys come and apply that same work ethic 
to the, the actual program that I'm providing and the service that I'm providing. And so we get this really good synergy where like they're making results, they're excited about it. We kind of come from a similar background. Typically we speak the same language. Like we just gel really, really well together. Um, and so I've found like that's the person that I work best with and that's the person I'm able to serve at the highest level. Um, and so it took me like, it took me pretty much the, all of the spring of 2018 to really figure that out. So at first I was offering one-on-one -on -one coaching to just everyone. And then it was like, you know what, who am I really actually helping the most? And through that, I figured out there was a handful of clients that I already had um, that we were just excelling and we were just gelling so well together. Um, and so I kind of niched down and really started focusing on working with just that select group of people. And so as a coach, one of the questions I like to ask everyone is really trying to develop practical advice. Um, obviously, you know, looking at your physique, if someone was to follow you or find you, they would see how your body of work presents itself for lack of a better term. But one of the things that I think happens to a lot of people is they get overloaded with all the information. They have information overload because there's so many coaches out there. There's so many fitness advisors. There's so many different pieces that they could do and take part in. But if you were to talk to, let's say, an entrepreneur who wanted to work with you and they're like, you know what, Sumner, I don't have the time to spend four days at the gym. I have this allotment of time and I can only do three exercises. And there were only three exercises you could offer them. What would those three exercises be? Ooh, well, okay. So I'll, <laughs> I'm going to add a little stipulation to that. So what I do first off when anyone comes to me is we always do a bit of a physique assessment because everyone's going to need a, something a little bit different. But I'll tell you on average what I see most guys uh, needing to work on. Um, it usually boils down to three exercises. So for me, that's going to be a pull-up variation and eventually kind of getting that to a weighted pull-up once you build up enough strength. Um, it's going to be an OHP that's either seated or standing. And that is an overhead press. Overhead press, yeah. So, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. I think anyone who didn't know what an OHP was, listen. totally, totally, yeah. So we're gonna do an OHP, typically with a barbell. It's gonna allow for like the highest level of progression. We're talking full thoracic extension. Like we're going all out. We're not freaking half-assing this by any means. This is the real deal. Um, and then third off, I'm gonna say some kind of deadlift variation. Uh, whether that's like a stiff leg deadlift or a traditional deadlift, sumo deadlift, whatever it may be. Um, those are the three exercises that we're going to really hone, hone in on. Um, and that's usually for three reasons. So, or maybe two reasons. I'll, I'll keep it simple. Uh, for two reasons. First off, those are going to be the easiest to see the most progression on. Those movements allow for so much progression that plateauing is, is going to happen. You're going to undulate, but it's really going to allow you to uh, – like those things, those could be staples in your training routine for years because there's just so much room for upward growth. Um, and then two, for the male body, I think they work the best on really developing a physique that's eye appealing. So we're talking like having some level of symmetry, having that V taper. Um, it's just going to really work in your favor. And I also think too, from an athletic perspective, it's going to work really well in your day-to-day -day life, day-to-day -day life. Um, it's going to kind of hit every area that you need to work on. Um, so those are the three that I would really focus on. 
And of course, we're not typically limited to just three exercises. But mm-hmm. if I was in like a very, very special situation that someone had a, you know, really just a finite amount of time to train, those would be my go-to. I think that the goal of that, that question is kind of like the island question. Like if you were on a stranded island <laughs> and there were only three exercises you could do, look at it that way. And I think that that more is presented because I think that people think that they have to be at the gym for hours on end. Um, which obviously if you're trying to push progressive overload and develop a good physique, like it's something you do have to be committed to, but it's not something that you have to be acting as if you were a competitive bodybuilder. Let's yeah. say. Yeah. No, by no means. I think a lot of people, um, and I'm going to go back to my original story, have been plagued by the information that's, pre- that's presented on forums. The idea that you need to only eat chicken and broccoli, the idea that you need to train for two hours a day, six days a week, the idea that you need to do just endless amounts of volume or, you know, push to failure on every single set. I mean, these are things that are, they're just not true, at least not for this, the average person, you know, maybe if you want to be a high level bodybuilder, or maybe if you're quote unquote enhanced to some degree, those things uh, might be true for you, but I think for the average Joe who just wants to get in shape, uh, a lot of that information can be incredibly discouraging, and I just don't think it's valuable. And so what do you feel like is the biggest misconception when people come to you? Oh, man. I think the biggest misconception typically boils down on the diet side of things. Um, The idea – this is a, a one that just gets me every single time. The idea that you have to eat six meals per day. That to me, one, I mean, is just complete dog crap as far as like science goes. I mean, there's no weight to that. But really, I think that is such a, like, it puts such a high barrier to entry uh, that most people, they just crumble, right? Like they try to do it for a few days and there's like, wow, I can't cook this much food or eating this much food feels impossible or like, you know, eating my meals at work, or, like while my coworkers are sitting next to me and I'm stinking up the whole entire office with freaking chicken and broccoli is like embarrassing and I don't want to do this. That it just it sets such an unrealistic standard that most people usually falter and they can't actually mm-hmm. stick with it. So that's a huge one. Um, the idea too that most people have like that eating clean is somehow going to make them lean when they have no basic idea of you know what their macros are, what their total daily expenditure is, um, is is a big one. So most people are like, you know, I don't really like eating quinoa and sardines for dinner. Like that just doesn't taste good to me. Um, and so they don't think they can eat clean or they don't, they think that eating clean is the only answer to getting in shape. When my opinion, having a balanced diet leads to having a sustainable diet, which leads to having a diet that produces results time over time. Um, and so those are usually like the, the areas that I really have to work on with people is that, Hey, you know what? You can still enjoy the foods that you like to eat, of course, within moderation. And I'm going to teach you how to track your macros. I'm going to teach you how to actually have control over your diet. And then you can structure your eating however you would like. Like everyone has different patterns of eating. For example, currently it's 11 o'clock my time and I haven't had my first meal yet. And that's really common for me. I'll usually have my first meal of the day around one o'clock in the afternoon. So if you told me that I have to eat six meals a day and I have to wake up at, you know, 7 a.m., eat a meal, and then eat my next meal at 10 o'clock, my next meal at 12 o'clock, I would go insane because it's not in alignment with who I am or, you know, how my schedule, what my schedule looks like. Um, And so I think it's really just 
allowing people to figure out that they can actually personalize their eating and there's no right way to do it necessarily. Um, it's about creating an approach that is individualized and sustainable. Um, and that's how you really produce change for the long run. One of the questions I have too, that's going to dive more into the personal aspect is within that, what has been one of the biggest struggles for you and how did you overcome it? Yeah. Struggles, uh, as far as training goes or just in general? I would say based off kind of this conversation, I think that it's really powerful to hear more of your personal, if, if, if that's something you're comfortable diving into, if not yeah. training and dieting is fine too. Yeah, no, man, no, let's, let's get deep on that, man. Let's go, let's, we'll go all the way. So I think, again, this is something I've never shared on social media before, but, but there's a time and a place. And I think right now is the time. So, the, I think the biggest struggle that I've gone through in my life, um, and it was a, it was a pretty radical shift that happened. Um, so when I was when I was growing up, like I mentioned, I lived with a single mom for most of my life. But there was a chapter in my life where my mom got remarried, and um, I essentially had a stepdad that kind of filled that void in my life, really played the role of a father figure and, and was an amazing stepdad. I mean, like he really kind of cultivated me into the person I am today um, and just gave me so much wisdom from like a man to man perspective. And, and I think he kind of like allowed me to level up in some essence because before that I was kind of like some spoiled little brat with a single mom. And then I, I had this uh, male role model come into my life and he really shaped me and kind of set me on this amazing path. And I remember we would drive to school every morning uh, listening to Tony Robbins every single day on my way to school. I think I was a freshman at that time. And so he was always just planting little seeds that, that were so powerful to me. And um, I didn't value all of this at first. At first I kind of, I was, you know, the typical teenager who didn't really want input from anyone else. And I thought I had everything all figured out. Um, but around the time that I started to get into working out, I remember I started to really, really value his influence. And it was actually at the same exact time that um, my mom and him got a divorce. And it was all rooted on the fact that for the last six years, he had actually been cheating on my mom and had created this whole entire alter reality essentially and had a whole other family. And it was like, it was a really traumatic experience because it essentially like the role model that I thought was like the ultimate figure in my life. I mean, I just, I looked up to him to the highest degree. I, I it was like, it was like finding out that, you know, Batman isn't, doesn't have superpowers or Superman doesn't have superpowers. Like this, this person that you held on this pedestal all of a sudden was dethroned and you found out that, that he wasn't what you thought he was. Um, and that was actually, like I said, too, that was around the same exact time that I got into working out. I think that was probably an underlying motivating factor. Um, but for me, that was one of the hardest things that I'd ever experienced, not just for the logistical reasons of having to, you know, move out and having the family separated. But I think for me, it was really on an emotional level of having the, this, this role model that I looked up to and really, really respected uh, to turn out to be something that he wasn't. And that, that really shook me up. Um, and that's when I started to take life into my own hands. Um, I, I don't know. 
I don't necessarily know what it was, but there was just, I remember just having a fire ignited in me after that. Um, and I just knew I had to rise to the occasion in, in all shapes, you know, in all facets of my life. I just, it was a, it was a big profound moment. Yeah. That sounds quite intense. I can't, I can't quite quantify how that would feel. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, how did, how did you overcome that? Ah, oh, I think the biggest thing was time. Honestly, you know, there was, there was definitely no overnight fix. I mean, it flipped my world upside down for, I would say years. Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest thing was, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it was having my mom. I mean, we, my mom and I have always been so close growing up. And so just having some level of support in my life and, you know, whether you're close to your mom or not, you can find support if you seek it out, it's always out there. And so anytime you have some kind of traumatic experience, I say, always look for support. The reality is whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, humans are social creatures. We thrive in being social. We thrive in having human interaction and having that support. And so for me, it was really just building up a support system and it took me, a quite a long time. And so I felt comfortable talking about it, but I remember I slowly started to open up and started to share it with my friends. And as I started to do that, it was almost like a catharsis. Like I just was like able to release this and kind of like just let it go. Um, and so knowing that it's okay to be vulnerable and share these things and, and seeking support was what sped up my healing. Um, but to some extent, time is going to be the ultimate healer and there's, there's nothing you can necessarily do to expedite that to some degree. Um, so yeah, I think those were the, the, the biggest things was really just seeking support. And I, I say to anyone out there, I mean, everyone has their own story. Everyone has had ups and downs um, and it might manifest in different ways in your life, but whatever you're, you've been through or are going through, I recommend you look to release that no one should have to hold on to any of the, the things that have plagued them previously. You should be in a place where you feel okay to, to let go of these things and be vulnerable and talk about them and, and seek out support. You know, you can DM me on Instagram if you want, if you want to share, you know, what's going on in your life. Like there, there's people out there that, that will listen. Um, and so for me, that was my mom and then eventually my peer group. But yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like, it's almost like, it's something that I think that when we have an experience like that, or obviously in that area of really pulling you apart, you want to bury it because you want to act like it's not there. Like you're like, you almost want to be strong for yourself. And I think that that's something, maybe it's a masculine thing, but I think that's something that people were told to accept, like, okay, that thing happened. You usually need to get over it. And that almost creates this resistance within your being because you're still holding on to it. And I think that the more that people can, like you said, have a cathartic experience where they can just release it and be honest and say, you know, this happened and, and this is why I feel this way. And there's something wrong with this, but it's the truth. I think that that's the first part of healing because then you accept that it's there and that you don't have to face it alone, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think, one of the biggest shifts that I've had in my life over the last few years is really learning what it means to be vulnerable as a man, which seems, seems weird, right? But mm -hmm. that's been a huge place of growth for me. And it's something that I don't think gets enough um, 
think there's enough talk necessarily. I think a lot of guys, especially our age, and especially in the fitness industry too, where it's such like a macho man kind of industry, um, man, there's just a lack of vulnerability. And when you can start to show up with vulnerability and authenticity in your relationships, whether it's with a friend or a partner, or, you know, whatever it is, everything changes. And when you can start being vulnerable with yourself, even it's, it's the most freeing experience. And I think really what it means to be a man performing at your highest level is not to be macho all the time or not to shove your feelings in the corner. It means to be vulnerable and to uh, be able to show all sides of yourself. And so, yeah, I think there's, you know, this, again, I don't want to just make this focus on guys. I know girls can go through the same exact thing, but I think there's a definitely, um, for the age that we're in, there's a lack of vulnerability. And a lot of people feel like they just have to bottle up whatever feelings that they have or whatever previous experiences that have been traumatic and being vulnerable and, and opening up is, is freedom. It's the ultimate expression of freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I've started to try to dive into myself is like, what is the role of the man in the 21st century now? Because I feel like it, it is a great example. Um, I think that it was after one of the um, shootings that happened in the U.S. that someone said, well, women have overgone gone this massive change of empowerment in the last, you know, real 40 years. But focusing more on like the last 20 years, like women have been told to be powerful and to get jobs and to be the, the dominating force that they're becoming. And, and that's awesome. But men have not received that same message. And I think that a part of that is they feel like they've been kind of either left behind at some capacity. And I think that because there were so many labor jobs and those jobs have somewhat gone away that they're left with this position where they feel like they have to over overcompensate for their masculinity and it's like you can be vulnerable and still have that piece of you that is manly that wants to express themselves as a man but you don't have to always be strutting around and beating your chest (laughs) (laughs) that that is spot on it's actually it's an area that i've given a lot of thought to as well and i think no you you actually hit the nail on the head the one thing i will add too is i think um part of what's to blame is pop culture whether that's Mm -hmm. that's movies or commercials or just the idea that's been presented of what the ideal man is has really misled um a lot of people in our generation and even in previous generations we're starting to come to an amazing point in time in the 21st century where you're right like you don't necessarily have to go and sit in the coal mine all day and be this macho man. Like there's other ways you can show up as a man. Um, and, and we're kind of in this place where I feel like much like you said, we're with women going through this massive transition, really, I think over the last decade, I would say, uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a, yeah, a huge, a huge shift in just empowering women. I think a similar thing is, is really we're on the rise and a huge change of empowering men especially within our generation, this whole millennial generation. Um, I've already seen just a, a gigantic um, change and just a, just the level of awareness that most men have. And the fact that this is even being brought up in this conversation, for example, it is an amazing sign of what's to come. And it's something that I really want to be able to touch on down the road. I think it's, it's a really, really important topic and something that I feel really, really inspired by. Yeah, and I think that's something that as it presents itself more, they'll have a better idea. Um, 
I want to kind of, you know, dive into one last question before we go into more of a friendly lightning round. And this has been amazing. So I, I, I do appreciate all the pieces that we've gone over here. But my last real question for you is before we go into like, a, like I said, the lighter round, because there's going to be probably like another five questions after this. So just to, just so you're in the right space, but as someone who is in the fitness industry, how do you classify yourself? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I am kind of in some sense a black sheep and it's weird. Cause I, I mean, I haven't up until recently classified myself as someone that's even in the fitness industry. Um, but if you're going to give me that classification, I guess I would say I am kind of a hybrid. I, I would like to see myself as not only someone that, that helps people produce amazing changes within their body, but someone that actually is able to guide people and create changes within their, their relationship within themselves, within their own mentality. Um, and so it's kind of like this this approach of really using fitness as a tool for personal development and personal change. Um, and so I think that's kind of the role that I have in the fitness industry and the approach that I'm taking. Um, and so, you know, eventually I would like to take what I do off of social media and hold like retreats and boot camps and really be able to work with people one-on-one -on -one and do more speaking engagements because that's what I'm really passionate about. That's what I feel called to do. Um, so I think my role in the fitness industry is something beyond just social media and Instagram in particular. Um, you know, there's so many people out there with phenomenal bodies who are providing great advice to people and, you know, they, they offer a service that that's amazing. And, and there's people already solving the issue of getting in shape. And um, the, the problem that I want to solve is really helping men and women use fitness as a vehicle to become the best, their best selves. Um, and so that's, that's kind of not only the approach that I want to take, but that's the approach that feels the most fulfilling. Amazing. I love it. And so we're going to dive into some different questions. So people have a better understanding of who you are as Sumner. And so the first question I have for you is outside of fitness, what do you like to do? What are some of your leisure activities? Yeah. So for me, um, anything movement based, I'm really a strong believer that movement is the quickest way to find presence. Um, and so whether that's hiking, doing yoga, surfing, running, um, I've really, I've recently picked up like doing calisthenics. Um, so for me, I'm always moving. I'm always doing something physical because that is my form of meditation. That's my practice. That's what I love the most. Um, so that's, that's huge on my list. I'm an avid reader. I mean, I'm not quite at that 50 books per year mark. That's something that I'm looking to get to, but I probably read on average anywhere from 20 to 30 books a year. Um, so I spend a lot of my time reading a lot of my time listening to podcasts, really big on travel. That's probably one of the places I spend the most money on. That's really like, like I save my money and then I use the rest of my money to travel. That's what I love most. I actually just got back from a two week road trip across the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I find that just to be, not, again, a great way to get present, but I find it just to be, um, oh God, I don't know. It's just inspiring. It makes me feel, it makes me feel really in tune with humanity. And it's weird. I, I just see all these different 
lives and I see the way people are living in different areas and I see different environments and it just, it makes me really happy to be a human. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, but for me, travel is just, ah, it's, it's the ultimate thing. It's, it's in my opinion, the best way or one of the best ways you can spend your money. Um, and then outside of that being social, you know, it's something that I've really put a lot of weight on in the last few years is being more social because like I said, growing up in high school, I think I was an introvert to some degree. And, um, I've really just been finding the finding value and being more social, whether that's with guys or with girls. Um, so it's like building more relationships and friendships and, and just, I don't know, just being more connected on and, and, and again, to take it a step further, not just going and being more social, but being more social and then simultaneously being more authentic and really showing up as Sumner Healy and just being able to share who I am is, is amazing. And so those are, the, I'm, you know, I'm a simple man outside of fitness. Like that's what I really love right there. And on top of that, I will say eating good food, eating good food is a hobby of mine. Eating good food should always be on the list. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. And so kind of to jump off of that, what are some areas that you would like to travel to? Ooh, man. Okay. So I've, you know, I've actually I've been very, very fortunate to do a lot of traveling in my time already so far, but I've yet to go to anywhere in South America. South America is a big one, namely Patagonia. I've always wanted to go to Patagonia. Um, I would love to travel to Morocco. It's been a big place that I've always wanted to go to. My mom's traveled there a bunch. So I think it's just growing up and always seeing pictures of it and hearing her stories in Morocco that's been up there. Um, and then I'm actually, I'm moving to the East coast in one day, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and so going to New York city has been a, a big one as well. Never been. And I think I'm actually going to go next weekend or the weekend after that, I'm going to take the train up to New York city. So I'm, I'm already on the path to uh, accomplishing there or making it to these places. But yeah, there's quite a few spots I want to go to. I'm actually on top of that too. Australia has always been a big one and I'm actually I just booked my ticket to Australia for uh, November of this year so I'll be there for three weeks um one thing I'm going to add is while you're on that side you should definitely go to Boston um <laughs> as a New England kid <laughs> as a New Hampshire guy um Boston is something I think you'll really enjoy but Australia is amazing where are you going in Australia and how long I'm going all over. So I'm actually, I'm going to be there for three weeks and wow. I'm renting a uh, like little travel camper van. Mm -hmm. And essentially we're not going to go to like the central part of Australia because it's pretty much from yeah. what I know. Desert. Yeah. yeah. But we're going to be mainly just doing, um, just going around the coast and there's actually an incredible amount of uh, like national parks within um, Australia. And a lot of them, like they don't get much traffic. It's kind of like a little hidden gem. And so I'm just going to be going from national park to national park to national park and uh, actually camping within a lot of the national parks. And then I think I fly into Sydney. So I'll spend a little bit of time in Sydney and then just venture out from there. Um, so yeah, my plans are semi loose as far as ex the exact locations that I'm going to hit, but I know I'll be there for three weeks, a little bit of time in Sydney. And then most of the times we'll just be exploring and driving and then venturing around. Sydney is my favorite city in the world. Oh, you've been there? Yeah, I was in there for I was there for like a month um, after graduating college. Um, Lindsay was studying abroad, and I spent my money. I was like, I'm just gonna go there after I graduate. So I went, 
stayed in, she was in New South Wales, which is a little bit, it's like an hour and a half south of, uh, or maybe even longer, I don't know, um, of Sydney. But we stayed in Sydney for about maybe four or five days or something around that like. And it's just, it's interesting because like, I look at beautiful cities in the U.S. I would say New York's in the in Manhattan and that in uh, that you know sphere of it is really beautiful. You can see a lot of things, but there's also a level of like intensity in the in American cities that Sydney doesn't have. Like Sydney's very beautiful and very low key. So I think that it's just it's worth spending a lot a lot of time there. And I would also if you get the opportunity to go to Cairns and um, try to scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef, it's a light, once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And you also don't know how long that is going to last. I was about to say, man, it's definitely, it's a ticking, ticking clock. Like I don't have very much time. So that is definitely on the list. What are some books that have changed your life or what is one book that you would recommend someone to read if they were just starting out on self-development? Yeah. So it's actually, it's one book that I've gifted the most out of any other book. I think I've given it to, oh, I've been like 15 or 20 people at this point, but that's The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's not necessarily um, the most practical book when it comes to self-development or self-help necessarily. Um, and it's definitely a book you might need to read two or three times over again. I think I've read it Oh God, probably seven or eight times at this point. Um, but man, there is no other book that has shifted my life quite like the power of now. It has, I mean, I mean, I could go on for hours about it, but really for me, I think beyond just producing changes or results necessarily, it's more than anything, it's just increased my level of happiness through developing acts of presence in my daily life. Um, at a certain, there was a certain stage in my life. I think I am classified as a pretty type A person, if you will. Uh, there was a time in my life where I had my head down and was just work, 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 work. And that's all I would do. And I would never come up for a breath of fresh air or I would never enjoy any of the rewards. Um, and I always had this mentality of, there's a destination, things will be better down the road. I have goals, like life will be better when X, Y, and Z happens. Um, and it was about when I was 21 that I just had a huge shift in my life. And I was like, you know what? I have everything I need here and now, and I'm going to enjoy that. And I'm going to find ways to channel presence in my life. Um, so that is far and away the most profound book that I have ever touched my hands on. And I recommend it to anyone out there listening. What is one quote or slogan that you would like to be known as synonymous with you? Oh, man. Well, you know, there's, it's funny because there's one quote that's always stuck around. And I don't know if it's the quote that I would necessarily want to be synonymous with me. But I also think simultaneously there's probably a reason that it's constantly floating around my head um so i'm gonna put it out there and we'll see how this feels but for me it's actually a quote by jocko willink and it's discipline equals freedom um and the reason that i the reason that this feels so profound to me is that i always kind of tie it back to when i first got into the gym and like we talked about in the beginning that first month right it required a little bit of discipline i hadn't hit that threshold 
where I was intrinsically motivated to go to the gym yet. Like I was still, I was still kind of using a little bit of that, that grunt force. I was using that, that finite amount of discipline that, that I have and that we all have to kind of get myself over that hump. Right. And so I got over that hump around the three month mark. And that's when I really started to fall in love with the gym. But if it wasn't for having that discipline to actually see it out and actually stick with it to get to that, that threshold of that three month mark, um, I wouldn't be in the place that I am today and I wouldn't be experiencing any level of freedom. Um, and I really feel like the gym has been the ultimate place of, of freedom for me. It's really allowed me to figure out who I am as a human being and it's just allowed me to grow in each and every facet of my life. Um, and so I think if you want to feel freedom, just know it's going to require some level of discipline in the beginning. And like I said, discipline is a finite thing. You can't run on it forever, but you can fill up your tank on it for a little bit. And it, it will take you to that place where you can find intrinsic motivation and then that will carry you on for a lifetime. But it does require discipline to start. I love it. Jocko is amazing in and of itself too. So anyone who doesn't follow Jocko Willing needs to dive into that. The 4 a.m. clock photos on Instagram are worth <laughs> What is one tip for productivity that you use on a daily basis? Oh, okay. This is this is a good one, man. One tip for productivity is always get your most important tasks done first thing in the day. This ties into having a finite amount of discipline. You have a finite amount of choice-making abilities in the day. You want to use it when the tank is full and use it on the most important task. So I always like to start my day with whatever is most important because I know five, six, seven o'clock rolls around in the evening. I've started to diminish the reserves that I have of choice-making abilities. Um, and so I like to really focus on what's most important and get that done first thing when I wake up in the morning. Well, not quite first thing. I, I have a little bit of a morning routine, then I'll dive into my, my deeper work. Uh, but I always like to prioritize that first thing in the morning. That leads me to the next one. What does your morning routine look like? Yes, my morning routine is rather simple. I think some people take this really, really far and that's fantastic for some people, but I don't think it's necessarily great advice for everyone. But I wake up in the morning, I don't look at my phone for about the first, uh, I'd say 30 minutes. Immediately I'll go up, I'll get a glass of water, big glass of water. We're talking like 16 to 24 ounces of water. I'll down that. I usually get up around seven to seven 30. I'll go lay back in bed for about five minutes. The reason that I do that is I'll lay back in bed and I'll just take a little moment to breathe, kind of get centered, wake up a little bit. Um, I don't do any like forced breathing practices. I'll just allow myself to breathe naturally and just kind of take some conscious deep breaths. Um, and I kind of just allow myself to feel what's going on. Like if I want to think about what I'm going to do for the day, I'll do that. If I want to think about what I'm going to eat for breakfast, I'll do that. Like I don't necessarily have any super duper structured way of going about it. Um, and then after that's done, I'll go grab coffee. I like to read for about the first 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and then usually at that point, I'll take a cold shower and I'll be ready to start my day. So it's nothing too, too crazy. Um, I just want to get in that right frame of mind to start my day. And most importantly, I want to give a little time to myself. So I do that by reading, do that by taking a cold shower, which I feel to be like really therapeutic. 
And I do that by taking a little bit of time to breathe because I know the second I turn my phone on, the second I check my email, I'm going to be pulled in a bunch of different directions. There's going to be a lot of people that want my attention. So it's good to give a little time to myself in the morning. And the last question for you is what is your one rule for life? Yeah, my one rule for life boils down to whatever it is you're going to take on, whatever, whether it's a career, going to school, picking up a new hobby. There's two metrics I look at. Is this going to be fulfilling? Is this going to allow you to be present? Whatever it is you're going to do, those are the two things that you need to look at. And it's the same thing for taking on anything in life. Like when Brian reached out to me to do the podcast, I was looking, is this gonna be fulfilling? Check, yeah, it's gonna be fulfilling. Am I gonna be present? Yeah, I'm gonna be present. I've been present this whole entire time. I haven't looked at my phone once. I've just been riffing and just kind of just speaking from a, a place of presence. And so it checks those two boxes. But if anything comes up in life that doesn't really feel like it's in alignment with those, I have no problem saying no. Um, and so I think those the, that's the rule I've lived by, and I think it's been, it's been pretty gosh darn good to me. I mean, you have to take into account that I'm only 23 years old. I definitely don't know everything, and I'll learn a hell of a lot over the next couple of years of my life. But as of right now, that has been the biggest kind of like guiding light in my life. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been an excellent podcast and I really do appreciate having you on the show. And the last thing I wanted to kind of figure out is, you know, where can people find you Sumner? Where are some of the projects you're working on? You know, what are your social tags or where's the best place to reach you? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram is definitely where I'm the most active and that's at the Sumner Healy. I'm sure Brian will have that in the show notes. Um, and then I just got back on my YouTube um, it seems like most people are so fickle with their YouTubing and I definitely can be in that uh, same group. Like, sometimes I'm really, really consistent. I'll upload like 20 videos in a month and sometimes I'm a little less consistent, uh, but it's something I love to do. I love speaking and I love creating videos. It's just really, really fun for me. So you can find me on YouTube just by punching in Sumner Healy. It should be the first result that comes up. Um, and look out for, you know, consistent content on there right now. I'm uploading about two to three videos per week and it covers the gamut. It's training related. It's diet related, a little bit of self-help, a little bit of self-development stuff mixed in there. And then also too, it's, I, I like just kind of being able to show who I am as a person and do like, you know, some vlog style videos and just showcase what's going on in my life. So we do a little bit of that on there as well. Um, I also have a podcast as well. So if you look up the Thrive Project on iTunes, you'll see that on there. And I'm sure in due time, I'll have Brian on there as well. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to it. And I'll absolutely make sure those are all there. But I think also, if someone made it this far, it might help them to listen to that part too. Yeah. So thank you so much, Sumner, for being on the show. This has been amazing. I look forward to talking to you in the near future too. Of course, man. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been awesome. And with that, guys, this has been an amazing episode. Make sure to follow me at BMP Radio at Instagram. You can also find me, my personal account, at Brian Pickowitz. And I will make sure that you can spell that in the show notes. But thank you all for tuning in. And just a reminder to continue to be a light and believe in more. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in to BMP Radio. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you like this talk, leave it a review. 
You can follow us on Instagram at BMP Radio or my personal account at Brian Pickowitz. That's P-I-C-K-O-W-I-C-Z. Thank you all for tuning in. And just a reminder, continue to be a light and inspire others to believe in.